children for children's church. It finally has died and arrived. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's good to see them sprinting to where they're trying to go. The enthusiasm. It's good to praise God. Today I'm going to start a series on the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is a great book but a complicated book because if you don't know what it's really about and how it comes about then you will misconstrue what it's really trying to tell you many times that when we look at this book and we get a lot of good sayings out of this book but we don't we forget the circumstances which surrounds the book and the book of Philippians is a book that is centered around Paul in jail. And but his theme overall is being joyful. It's a book that, it, that, that promotes being joyful in God. And the circumstances that may guide your life may come into your life, may penetrate your life, is still being able to enjoy and be joyful through whatever you have to go through because joy is a secret ingredient that the Holy Spirit has in you that is an antidote to the pain and suffering. Many of us understand the brokenness and the sorrow that life can bring. But many of us don't practice understanding how to produce the joy of Christ in our lives that will propel us into an adventure or into a conquering spirit that the, that the things don't bother us the way it used to bother us. Or it shouldn't bother us. Because the problem is many Christians do not take advantage of the joy of the Lord. Most of us don't even understand the joy of the Lord. How can you say I should be joyful despite my situations and suffering? How can I be joyful doing the things that I go through? How can I be joyful on the losses and things that happen into my life? Why should I be joyful if I'm chained to suffering and despair? But the cruelty of it is that life don't do that to you. But the blessing of it is when you learn to be full of joy, God is able to move you and propel you further than you can ever imagine. See, Paul is sitting in prison writing this book, but the background of the Philippian church that I discovered that helped me gain some more joy is the Philippian church was a church that started, that was sitting in Asia, and it, and it was designed to take the gospel to Europe. But the problem with the church was that Paul, when he got there, was that the church was so engulfed and fanatic of being Roman that God, Paul had a hard time finding somebody to give the gospel to. But Paul found two people. He found a woman of Jewish descent and she was wealthy and he converted her to help start the Philippian church. The second convert was a slave woman who was practicing 
fortune teller. And Paul converted her. And out of these two women, Paul was able to start to move the Philippian church and grow the Philippian church in an environment that was so anti-anything. They would not go against the Roman government. Matter of fact, the history says that the Philippians were true, considered little Rome. They were exactly like Rome was. They wanted to be like Rome. They was loyal to Rome. They were very fanatic, and yet the gospel had to get in because God had a purpose to take it to Europe. So Paul sitting in jail watching the Philippian church. The thing that helped me with the Philippian church was I discovered that it had issues. How many of you know the church got issues? And how many of you know the more it went, the greater the issues become? Because all of a sudden, the church starts off good, but then when its leader had to go and take the money and, and service Paul, that he ended up being sick in Rome, and the church was without Epiditus, the leader, so when the leader's not there, then all of a sudden, chaos starts to show up. And Paul is trying to address it. It's not about what's going on. You need to understand that the church got to mature and grow, not in what's leading it, but who's leading it. And Epidias was sick, and he ended up coming back, and like everything that he faced, he had to now deal with how do he get back in position? And Paul is addressing the chaos and the fights. But while he's addressing the chaos and fights and writing Galatians and Colossians and Philippians, he's also having issues himself. He's chained to a Roman soldier and he can't preach the gospel and he's running around. He's there in Rome sitting there wondering how is things going to go. But Paul understood one thing. No matter what I got to go through, Christ that is in me is enough for me to get through anything. See, it don't matter if I'm chained physically. It don't matter if you close the jail cell. It don't matter what goes on. But long as I got Christ and Christ alone. And that joy is what Philippians talks about. But my title today is about joy stealers. Because, see, we can yell joy all we want. But the biggest problem is not do you have joy. The biggest problem is you let people steal your joy. But it's not just people stealing your joy. You steal joy yourself. Because you allow it to be taken from you. You know to say we hear this, the joy that the Lord gave me, the world can't take it away. Well, that's a true statement, but some of us just voluntarily give up and let them have it. Because see, when you got the fruit of the Spirit working, and joy is one of the fruit, and it's not a thing that is a mental complex. It is a soul-wrenching thing. That's why when Jesus went to Calvary, he had the joy of the Lord because he knew he was doing the Father's work up there on Calvary, repenting and redeeming the sins of the people and the joy that sat in him allowed him to do what he had to do. My question to us today is, despite all the danger and conflict we go through, is the joy of the Lord permeating in our lives? Is the joy of the Lord really true joy about us? Sometimes when I look at us, I say to myself, boy, we sure are some miserable people wow. because of all the stuff that we go through. 
But I keep noticing we read all these self-help books and all these books that psychologically supposed to change us and all this stuff that's supposed to make us feel good and all this stuff that you watch on TV that's supposed to perpetuate you. But if you really deep down inside of you reach where it's supposed to be, joy will start to rise in you and you don't need to listen to them. All you got to do is listen to him. See, we take the Bible and we take little scriptures and make them into money-making books. But if you take the Bible and take the scriptures and make it a money-making book for yourself, then you'll start to live a little better. Then you'll start to feel a little better. Then you start to heal a little better. Then you start to talk a little better. You start to walk a little better. You start to feel a little better. You start to heal a little better. Your mind starts to work a little better. Because when joy come in, then we are able to overcome all troubles. We can overcome all of the things that the world brings to us. So, what makes us lose our joy? One of the things that make us lose our joy is we so wrapped up in our circumstances. See, Paul didn't get wrapped up in his circumstances. He knew he was a prisoner of war for preaching the gospel, but he did not let the circumstances stop him from having a, a joyful day. See, Paul didn't mind, and y'all get on me, because I wake up and you see me, he always smiling. He always happy. He always, well, it ain't that he don't have no issues. He just know he got joy. And he ain't gonna let his issues or his circumstances steal his joy. Oh, I got big problems. And I got issues. But I know one thing that ain't gonna take my joy is the circumstances in which I'm in. And see, when we understand that the circumstances is a joy stealer, then you quit working at the circumstance and you look at the one that understands your circumstance. And then inside of you, when you look at him, you start to get more joy to go on through. See, when we got circumstances, we always running around saying, you don't understand. No, have you ever tried? You don't understand. Because if you really understood, you wouldn't let circumstances steal from you. If you really understood, you wouldn't sit there and let Joe say, you know what's sad? I can't understand how you wake up mad. That don't make sense to me. You went to bed. You went to sleep. But you wake up mad. And I'm looking at you like, what you mad about? The day ain't even got started. But if you got joy, and you know that God gave you peace, and you know you got rest that night, you should wake up at least doing one thing. Giving him praise. Giving him praise of what has been done to you. Another one that stomps us. And we love letting them steal it. Matter of fact, in, in uh, Sunday school class, the men, we were talking about it. See, we love when people steal our joy. We, 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 we don't mind blaming somebody else for stealing my joy. We, we, we don't mind saying that they did this to me. We don't mind projecting and blaming instead of looking at our own self and tell somebody, no matter what you do to me, you're not going to steal what's inside of me. No matter what you try to do to me, you ain't going to take what he done gave me. No matter how many bars you close up on me, I'm still going to rejoice and praise him because the joy that's in my life, if I'm locked up and the sun rises, I'm going to give him praise. But if I'm locked up and nobody else comes see me, 
I'm still going to give him praise. And the Bible says, Paul and Silas, they were sitting in jail and they were chained to the jailer and the jailer was sitting there. Then all of a sudden, praise broke out. They got to singing, they got to dancing, and they got to having a joyous time. Oh, right around midnight when something started to happen. All of a sudden, a revival broke out. The doors flew open and joy ran in. And the jailer looked at him. What do you got that I don't got? Because see, when we act like we supposed to act, they going to want what we got. Because they going to say, how do you do that? How do you overcome that? The joy that you have. Oh, let the Lord give it to me. See, I, I can't let people steal mine. Passing the church, you sure be coming after Because I just don't want to let you ain't going to take mine. Not people. People ain't going to take my joy. Because, see, when you understand circumstances and you understand people, and I don't understand this, how many of you even know people ain't going nowhere? You better get used to them. Because according to the statistics, it's going to be more of them. So if we got to deal with people, you better learn to not let people take from you. See, now you will kill them over your car. You will kill them over your clothes. You will kill them over your money. But you won't kill them over something God done gave you. That's why you let them steal your joy because you ain't willing to kill them over what God done gave you. The next thing, I already kind of mentioned it, but it's still there, things. When we don't get what we want, when our stuff is bothered, the joy starts to come and be taken away. One day, Abe Lincoln was walking down the street with his two sons, and they were crying and fighting. What's the matter with these boys, a man asked him. He said the same thing that's wrong with the whole world. He replied, I had three walnuts, but each boy wanted two. Do that sound familiar? And we wonder what's wrong with our kids. Because the things that dominate our lives. A Luke says, a man that liveth and consisteth not in abundance of things that he is possessed. In the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus warned us about storing up our earthly treasures. See, it's not safe to keep going after things that is going to possess you and steal your joy. It's not safe to sit around and want what everybody else got because you ain't got it. It's not safe to sit around and just try to do everything you can to make sure that you are comfort and doing the things that you want. See, it's not safe to do the things that you think that you need instead of checking with God and ask him do you need it. See, it's not safe because all you're doing is setting yourself up that your joy is gonna get stolen away because things is dominating your life. And most of us ain't nothing wrong with it, but you better put it in the right perspective. See, you, you, you get your joy. See, most of us don't distinguish the difference between happiness and joy. We don't know the difference. See, they say money can buy you happiness. It sure can. Because the more stuff you get, the happier you get. The statement ain't no lie. Money do bring happiness. But money don't bring joy. Because when you don't have no money. See, that's why folk kill themselves. Because when they don't have the stuff, they can't function. Because they don't have the joy of the Lord. They can get them through things. And I remember telling God a few times, going through stuff 
I said, Lord, I just discovered something. I'm supposed to feel bad, but you won't let me. Well, Lord, this ain't feel right. This is not human. This is not right. And God said, you got my joy. I'm teaching you how to use my joy. Oh, yes, what you're going through is hell. Yes, what you're going through is disastrous. Yes, what you're going through, everybody want to feel sorry for you. But don't, I'm not going to let you feel sorry for yourself. Because if you're doing what I done called you to do, and if you're doing what I done asked you to do, then you're going to have the joy of me doing the work that I got for you. And no matter what they do to you, your joy is going to carry you on through. And when joy is the faith and the foundation, you don't have to worry and lust after stuff. Well, let me go on in your house now. Y'all can handle them first three. You like circumstances. That ain't my fault. I like people. Okay. Things, oh well, I'm in a world full of things, but yeah, that's just me. What steals your joy is worry. Mm, I knew I'd get a quiet church. Well, Pastor, we, how can we not worry? That's how come you ain't got no joy. You know how to worry. Let me see you know how to get joy. Because the Bible warns us about worrying. Worrying is a disease that is destructive in your life. Worry steals your joy. Worry brings problems no matter and circumstances in you. Worry do not produce anything good for you. Your body starts to decay. Your mind starts to decay. Your heart starts to get hard. Worry do not produce one good thing. That's why Jesus said it's a sin for you to worry. But most of us excuse ourselves and say, well, I can't help but worry. But don't you know if you let God in your life, God is willing to teach you that be anxious for nothing. But submit everything. Lay it on the altar in prayer and supplication. See, when we get to worrying so much, we done suck the vet everything that God's trying to do for us. And we got to understand, worry don't produce nothing but troubles and issues. That's why God wrote so much about you worrying about circumstance, people, things, and money. And you walk around like you done lost your last Jesus. Because you worry. Well, I can't help but worry. Well, I done learned that worrying didn't do me no good. I, I, I done learned how to go to sleep. I done learned how to wake up. I done learned how to worry that it, it, whatever it is, it ain't mine, it's his. I done learned how to put the responsibility back where it belongs. And I done quit trying to worry. And when worry creep in, I start to tell it what it is. Lord, please get this out of me. Because I know you got this under control. It may not be the way I want it, but I know you got this. And Lord, quit teaching me how to teach me not to have the worry. And when I get to praying like that, I get to seeing the joy of the Lord coming in my life. And I get to worry about, quit, quit worrying about stuff and things. And I start learning how to rejoice. And guess what? I believe when I get through praising him, the problem I thought I had done roll on away. See, when we order, how can we keep this stuff? How did Paul keep this stuff? How did joy become such a dominant part of his life? How did joy even become a, what I try to achieve, a dominant part of my life? The first thing that you got to do in Philippians chapter 1, see, I'm giving you an overview of the book, but when we come back, we're going to get in depth. But Philippians chapter 1, it, it's teaching you one thing, and it's overminding thing that it's saying, you got to be single-minded. 
Mm. A person that's double-minded in his ways. James 1 and 8, a double-minded person raises unstable. But you got to become single-minded where you are focused on one thing and one thing only. Your focus should be on Jesus Christ and you should be devoted for Christ. That's why in Philippians 1 and 21, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And for me to gain, die is to gain. Because we got to learn how to be single-minded Christians. See, the reason why our lives are so wishy-washy, because you don't let everything start to come into you. And it's starting to steal your joy away. But to stay single-minded and to stay focused and stay on the mission, then you're going to have to learn how to stay on focus on what God have you to do. It's hard, preacher, to be sitting over there thinking about what God wants me to do all the time. You just don't know the mess that's in my life. Have you ever thought that the mess that's in your life is because you haven't got single-minded on Christ and you too busy looking at all the mess and you let God have your mess and you stay focused on him. All of a sudden, you don't see no mess because mess gonna always be there. You gotta learn how to step over mess and let God handle the mess and you handle his glory. See, he's a prisoner, but he understood that I'm staying focused on Christ. I remember my wife asked me this question every year she asked the same question. But this one seemed to really touch home this time. She said, are you satisfied in your life? And I looked at her and I said, you know, that's a good question. I said, honey, I'm satisfied in every area of my life but one. And she said, really? I said, my marriage, oh, is heaven. Most of the time. <laughs> it's a human marriage. Come on. <laughs> I said, financially, we are doing well. And the thing that makes it even doing well is I know and you know that in a few years, it's going to be a whole lot better. So I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied in my job that I'm doing. I'm satisfied in everything in my area but one. And she said, well, what is it? I said, well, honey, the same satisfaction. It's been there for over 25 years. And she said, well, what is it? I said, I'm not satisfied with the church. And she said, well, why not? I said, because... I feel so disappointed with the church because the church is not trying to do what God wants it to do. I say the church is not single-minded and focused on him. The church is double-minded and it brings all of these things that steals your joy away. But then I, I said to her, well, baby, well, I can't say this to you. But despite my dissatisfaction, I know this. I'm still joyous and happy because of this. This is not my responsibility, so I'm not gonna pick up something that I don't have to worry about. This is Christ's job to grow his church. And my job is just to do what he tells me to do. But despite my dissatisfaction, I'm still joyous and happy because of what God is doing in our lives. And this is the beauty of it. I know he's going to do his part. So I ain't even going to worry about him doing his part. And what the Bible teaches me is you got to let God do God's stuff in God's time. So I gave me some hope and some joy. Another thing that stops you from stealing losing your joy is you got to have a submissive mind. You got to submit yourself unto God. 
And another thing, you not only do you submit yourself to God, now that I'm trying to talk to you about cultural differences now. Here's where a big problem is in our society, and here's a big problem in our lives, and here's a big problem why we're losing our joy. See, when we are not submissive one to another, then we are not able to lift up others. And we are not able to help people. And the Bible says if you learn to submit one to another, you will help each other grow and achieve. But we're not teaching our children to be submissive. We're not teaching ourselves to be submissive. We're so worried about our self-preservation that we done lost what we're supposed to be able to do. See, we don't want to say to die is to gain. We think we have to live and we kill everything around us to gain. But that's opposite of what the Bible says. Because when you learn to be a submissive Christian, then you can lift up your brothers and sisters in Christ and you can help them achieve themselves. And then while they get help, you are growing in God because you're doing what God done told you to do. And when they rejoice, you can rejoice. And if they don't make it, you still can rejoice because you done did what God done said. Then... We were talking about this in Sunday school. Being spiritual minded, that's Ephesians chapter three. See, you always hear the phrase, well, he's so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. Well, have you ever thought you so earthly minded that you ain't no heavenly good? Oh, y'all didn't like that reversal, did you? Uh, you, you, you didn't like that, but oh, I'm enjoying myself this morning. See, to become spiritually minded, then we're going to have to start letting go of earthly things. And to let go of earthly things, God is going to supply your needs according to his riches and glory. And see, when we start letting go of the stuff that we, that we think that's important and start gaining the stuff that we need to be important, then we will be able to do and we won't get robbed of our joy because the more spiritual you become, the right values you start to get. The more spiritual you become, the more vigorous you become. The more vigorous, the more spiritual become, the more vision you got. And the more vision you got, the more that you can lift up God and then you can be able to elevate what you need because the spirit of God is rest, ruling, and abide, and you are submitting yourself unto his command, and God can lift you up, and he can glorify you, and he can say to you that you are now some earthly good because you are heavenly good. And then Philippians chapter 4, and I'm ready to go home, talks about being secure. When we learn these principles that's holding us back, then you got to start working on these principles. So when you ask the question, what should you do? Then you should be striving to become a Christian like Paul, where the jailer said, I believe in what you believe in now. Because if you can overcome life like this, then you can overcome anything. And most of us got to have a spiritual mind, eternal mind. And we got to be understanding that notice in the scriptures, in the first verse it says, to all the saints in Christ. Look what it said. Do you know what a saint is? See, the reason why us Baptists don't get called saints because we ain't trying to be saints. <laughs> Oh, y'all, you know what a saint is? How, what if I watch this? The reason why you're not trying to be a saint because you don't know what a saint is, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're a saint. See, you're a saint because you're set apart. Now, you got to learn that being set apart is what you got to practice being. 
And when you start practicing being set apart, then you will not be, then you become single-minded, then you become submissive, then you become so spiritually minded, and you become secure in the Lord, and you believe in what God has said. Then admit to yourself, Lord, I failed. I'm good at that now. I am a woo. Jesus, I failed. I didn't do it right. I didn't mean to tell them about themselves. But they needed it. But I'm sorry, Lord. But failure causes you to repent. And when you learn to repent, you learn to get restored. Yes. And when you learn to get restored, you get back up and try it again. Yeah. See, your life should be like a rubber band. You take a brand new rubber band and you stretch it. And when you let it go, is it the same size as it was when you first started? No. And see, and the more you stretch it, the more it grows. And the more it gets grows, the more you grow. And you don't want to be stretched because you don't like the way it feels because you think it's going to break. But you got to trust God that if God breaks the rubber band, God can fix the rubber band. But you keep letting God stretch it so that you can keep on growing. And the more you grow, the more joy you can get. So I'm here to let you know that even though we're getting ready to start this book, It's not based on how wonderful your life is. It's based on do you have the joy of the Lord in you? You gotta understand that we get disappointed and discouraged because we human. But that's only a small bit that you don't have to live in. And the more you can start to let joy dominate your life, the more you're going to enjoy your life. And the more you can enjoy your life, people quit start to steal from stuff from you. They're not worse than sitting in council and listening to the wife got stolen by the husband and the husband trying to steal, and the wife trying to steal back from the husband. See, the reason we got to start living in harmony is because we got to let joy start to do what it can do. It's going to bring fellowship. It's going to bring love because it's not that you ain't got no issue. It's not that you don't have no problem. You just know where to put these issues and put these problems. I don't need to have everything. Let me have something. I don't have to dress nice every day. I can look like a bomb today. But the thing that I'm not worried about is not the things that I got and what all I have. All I'm worried about do I have Jesus and all of him in my life. Deliver you from something and you 
Amen for the word. The doors of the church are open. 